Grapple fans, and welcome to another edition of the Meltzer Five Star Project, the ongoing series within the Let Me Tell You Something universe, in which myself, you Let Me Tell You Something co host Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co host Simon Cross, discuss every match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. And we're in Japan. Some things are the same, some things are different. <laughs> some people from just the last match are in this match. Some people who've been on the five-star bandwagon for many a year are also appearing, but in a different kind of setting, in a way, or match setting at least. And for a championship that I very much doubted we were ever going to talk about on this podcast. (laughs) But we're here, and we're ready for it. Simon, what are we discussing for this episode? We're discussing a match that took place at Dominion on the 4th of June 2023, where the defending uh, Never Openweight six-man champions, Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Tomohiro Ishii, are defending against the Blackpool Combat Club members of John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli. And Moxley's called in a little help from a friend in Japan, Shota Umino. Making his debut in the Melts Five Star Project. Woo! In ring, I think he would have probably been ringside with Moxley when he was... He had at least one G1 match. I think maybe in that Osaka Hall against Tomohiro Ishii. Ah. But, as I said, there are things that we've seen before. There are things that are new to this. And the new one is... Umino. What's the same from the previous match that we covered, which was Anarchy in the Arena, is that two members of the Blackpool Combat Club are involved in Moxley and Castagnoli. And we've also got Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Ishii in a five-star match, but together in a tag team combination. <laughs> That's never happened with Okada and Tanahashi. Obviously, in all previous five-star matches they've been involved in, it's been on opposite sides. Okada did, I think it's before this was his only tag team match that had got a five-star rating was teaming with Ishii. I think it was against the Golden Lovers. Oh, okay. You know, in a New Japan-US match, I think it was. Oh, right, yeah. Not New Japan-US, but a New Japan match in the US. So I never expected to see the Never Open White title six-man tag <laughs> get into a five-star match. Because if there's criticisms aplenty for the trio's title in AEW, but it was designed to be a title that at the very least gave us exciting, fast-paced matches. It seems like the main reason the Never Open White six-man tag titles existed was to main event an odd Karakuen Hall show now and then. And get the people who weren't booked in a proper match at Wrestle Kingdom a part of a gauntlet at the Tokyo Dome. So they got their Wrestle Kingdom paycheck. The equivalent of the Andre the Giant Battle Royal of New Japan. Ah, yes. But that's not the case for the first time. For some reason, Meltzer loves his trios matches at the moment as far as giving five stars out. The only other time in the existence of the Meltzer five-star rating system that we were inundated with six-man tag matches in the five-star variety was really that if you listen back to the old Meltzer five-star projects, it was probably those six-man tags involving all Japan talent that really got us on board with late 80s, early 90s to mid 90s all Japan. Yes. Which was 
until New Japan in the 2010s, Meltzer's favourite period of wrestling to dish out the five stars. So that's kind of the gold standard that we're comparing this to. Mm. And for me, quickly, it doesn't match up to that. But what I did think was that this was a very fun sprint that is, I think will be remembered as the first great match of what will hopefully be maybe the feud of the decade, the storyline of the decade, not just in New Japan, but maybe in pro wrestling, because we've said before, maybe the best storyline of the 2010s was Tetsuya Naito's ascension to the IWGP title, or the rivalry between Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And this is kind of almost a merging of the two, along with the storyline that was the basis of the start of that golden age of all Japan pro wrestling in the Super Generation Army against Jumbo's Army. The generational conflict, because the central story of this match, the focal point, the reason that it's happening, really, is because a bunch of youngsters are circling Kazuchika Okada, and he doesn't take kindly to it. (laughs) He's not become like a grumpy old man, but he is a bit of kids get off my lawn at the moment, is Okada. Yeah, it's funny, it's just how people age differently now, I suppose, because I think when Jumbo's army against the Super Generation army started, I think Jumbo was about 39 at that point, and Okada now, I think, is 36 or 35. Mm. So there's only like three or four years difference, but facially, there's a a big difference. There's a world of difference. I'm not saying that Jumbo Saruta wasn't a handsome man, it's just, I don't know, you're... Back in those days, people just aged differently at different rates, it seems. Yeah. Just look at any English or Scottish footballer in the 1970s. (laughs) There's a reason we're the backbone of 80s footballers aging badly. Yeah. This is just the start of it. Essentially, in January, Kitamiya walked into the ring without being tagged kicked Okada in the head, and all hell has broken loose ever since then. And subsequent to... So Kitamiya is obviously from the outside. Noah's top young prospect taking it to Okada, who the year before had mocked him after he and Tanahashi had beaten Kiyomiya and Muto in, I think, the main event of that Wrestle Kingdom in Yokohama event. (laughs) So it wasn't without cause, Kiyomiya's behaviour. But that has now been followed up since then by Ren Narita literally approaching and challenging Okada right after he just lost the IWGP world title to Sonata. <laughs> and he's like, come on, Okada. And Okada did accept the challenge. And then with Tanahashi and Ishii, won his first non-IWGP heavyweight brackets world heavyweight title reign in New Japan. Subsequent to that, Shotarumino decided he wanted in on this whole fighting Katsuchikiro Kada in the in the crowd <laughs> situation. And I sent you those three pictures from a Twitter account, which was just a, a wonderful narrative told in three pictures. Yeah. Which is Okada throwing chairs from quite a distance at Shota Umino in the crowd. And then a close-up of Shotarumino with a glazed look over his face, like he didn't quite understand what had just happened. <laughs> and then just a shot of a very happy Kazuchika Okada walking back into the room. <laughs> He's so good at not using his words to tell like a story or like develop his character, but just using his actions, his Okada. He's got a knack. He's got that innate knack of just knowing what expression to pull at any time, really. Well, I think it's just how he exudes that natural confidence. Yeah, And obviously when he was the upstart after Tanahashi, it was like arrogance. As I've always said, kind of like Cristiano Ronaldo. 
but arrogance that he could back up in the ring, we found out very quickly. Yeah. Whereas now it's a different one where he, he is like, you kids get off my lawn, but he's like, none of you can measure up to me. None of yeah. you are what I was at 23. And that now none of them are. Because the basic idea is that Okada is basically the one and only of his generation that was a great star. Whereas it seems like there's people of equal value and merit jostling for each other. Because mm. we've got, as we say, Kiyomiya and Noah. Who knows? Maybe New Japan will make him an offer to join New Japan in a year or two's time. We don't know. He's about to enter the G1 Climax. That'll be very interesting to see where he goes. Although he wasn't put in the same block as Okada, which I think was what everyone was anticipating. But obviously there's going to be another match down the line there. But now we've got Ren Narita also throwing a challenge at Okada. Whilst I don't think that led to any kind of... I haven't seen the match, but I don't think that led to degenerative violence. It's still Narita's also of that generation. Yeah. And you got Umino. We've just had late... Like, the next match on that show was Yotosuji making his return. His first match back after his excursion. They put him in the main event of their second biggest show for the world title. And he gives Sinada a real run for his money. So, obviously, Suji's going to be gunning for the ace position as well. You, you don't do that. You don't book someone like that unless you think that they could do it. Yeah. And we don't yet know where Yuya Yuimura's going to... F- factor into all this as well (laughs) oh i wonder if he might make his debut either on wrestle kingdom or the equivalent of new year's dash or whatever it would be the day after they've gone from a drought to a uh to a flood really haven't they yeah they have though whether all these guys are going to match up to those standards we don't yet know but like when i've seen umino so far it's kind of blown hot and cold he had a match with naito i know that people really were quite dismissive of it doesn't seem necessarily like he can yet bring other people up to a level, mm. but he's got the physical fire for everything. He's got that great babyface fire that we see numerous times in this, and we also see him have some swagger and some ruthlessness. Yeah. There's a brilliant moment because after we have the Castagnoli Tanahashi interaction, the sexy off. Yeah. Umino gets tagged in and is not even interested in dealing with Tanahashi <laughs> and just insists that Okada tags in, and then when Okada won't do it initially, he just knocks him off the apron. And again, Okada lays him out at first, but then Umino comes fighting back, and it's brilliant because it's so fantastic, one of these things that New Japan does, that they just make partnerships and allegiances and friendships matter over numerous years. Umino was just put with John Moxley yeah. because of how New Japan books their G1 tour where you're not wrestling singles matches every night, but you are booked in the undercard in tag team matches. And because Moxley's whole thing is that he doesn't have any allegiances. Wow, his thing back then was. <laughs> they booked him in a singles match with Shotaru, you know, it was just like a display, you know, a squash match uh, exhibition that he then, after that, announced that he was in the G1. And then he just took a liking to <laughs> Umino. And that's been Umino's character ever since, that he's like <laughs> Moxley's little pet <laughs> slash protege. But that all pays off fantastically four years down the line when Umino beats the shit out of Okada on the outside and then does a little John Moxley shoulder swagger walk yeah. around the ring. Oh, it's, he he does adopt the mannerisms quite well of, of Moxley and he's he does have that psychotic energy to him. He, he is an interesting character. I don't know if I agree with psychotic energy. It's weird because it's obvious that he's meant to be. As we've said, there's always, it seems to be this lineage of styles of wrestlers. 
they don't have to fit exactly, but they're making it very clear in the way that he was booked at Wrestle Kingdom as well, is that he's like that intelligent, sort of semi-high flyer technical wrestler Mm. that he's following along the lines of Muto to Tanahashi to Naito to now Umino. Okay. So those guys aren't brawlers, but... Because he got attached with Moxley, they can add that to it. Yeah. I don't think he's got a psychotic energy. He's just full of fire and it's just the New Japan fighting spirit that you are meant to not back down from any challenge. You know, all the times that as young lions are getting the shit kicked out of them, they're still trying, they're not running away from all these guys. Like you see the way that Okada behaved in his young lions farewell match with Tanahashi. And he was trying to fight. He was never backing down from Tanahashi, but he didn't yet have the skill or the the strength, which is why they always play up the strength. And now, I mean, Umino's physique is pretty insane, to be honest with you. Yeah. And when you watch the backstage interviews and you see a fair bit of acne marks around his body, you wonder how he's attaining this. Uh... Or maybe you don't wonder. And that's what's so funny, because you would think the logical person to put him against in this whole storyline would be Tanahashi. They have some exchanges with each other in this match, but not really. As we've said, that the key storyline at this point is Umino against Okada. Yeah. And you would assume later on, Narita Suji and Yuimura will all also have weird relationships, both with Okada, but also amongst each other, which we haven't yet explored. But now with the G1, you know, Suji, Narita and... Umino all being put in the same block. Yeah. That'll really be the first time that we see that, I suppose, from those three, since they've all returned from their learning excursions. This seems like very much a, like, building year, Mm. in terms of, like, how they've booked the G1, in terms of, like, building narratives, which we could well see pay off at Wrestle Kingdom three years from now. Yeah. It seems a very deliberate decision to put all these guys in the group, and, and they could go... This was like their incubator group, you know, and like this is where all their like narratives from each other stem. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it'll be the first singles match they all have against each other since their Young Lions days. And every one of those matches are usually booked as an important chapter. Like things happen in each match that will affect every subsequent match after that. So there'll be stuff that happens in this G1 climax that they'll probably be referencing three, four, five, six years down the line, maybe in Wrestle Kingdom main events. Yeah. That's also why, as you say, this is just the building blocks, that storyline. That's why, like, I wouldn't give this match five stars, but I do think it's the equivalent of that first Okada-Tanahashi match where Okada beat Tanahashi for the title in that so many of the things that we'll see that will be built up in the future in bigger, more important and better matches yeah. started around this time, or that brawl that they'd had in a in a build-up to Dominion where Okada was throwing all those chairs at Umino. This time, Umino got some retribution, not enough to get the win, mm. but he had Okada rocked for the first time in this match. More so than, I guess, Kitamiya's managed so far because Okada dispatched him in like 15 minutes when they had their singles match. Yeah, And similarly, Narita, he beat for the title kind of single-handedly. Whereas in this one, when it gets to the end straight, the main reason that Okada's able to overcome Umino is through the help of Tanahashi and Ishii when they are able to evade Moxley and Castagnoli long enough to triple-team Okada. But it is funny seeing the similarities and the differences and everything as we say, like, as I said, we'd just come a week or two off of Moxley and Castagnoli being in that Anarchy in the Arena match. And especially Moxley, it seemed like he was trying to prove I'm not just the wild brawler. Yeah. 
just if you look at the kicks that he throws in this match, they are like your Brian Danielson style kicks. He's not just throwing yeah. punches willy-nilly uh, all over the place. Or When he does bleed, it's kind of through accidents. <laughs> yeah. Do you reckon those kicks were a little tip of the hat to the announcement that was coming later? Yeah, probably. It was, But it's also that idea of the Blackpool Combat Club style, I suppose. They all take elements from each other. Yeah. I thought it was a wise decision to have Castagnoli start it off, and Castagnoli is essentially like an extra little relish added to this match, that they don't use him too much, but they put him in the ring with Tanahashi, who's the perfect guy to test Castagnoli and show his initial strengths and his abilities, both technically but also through power moves, and also his size. Mm. And then later on, to have him do the giant swing to Okada was a real statement. I'm so happy that Okada is a let-his-arms-go kind of swinger and not a tucks-his-hands-behind-his-head kind of swinger. That makes me so happy. I remember the worst one for that was Broder's Clay. It was kind of pathetic oh. the way he took that giant swing. But <laughs> let's not get going on that guy. But Hey, you're not a wrestling fan if you don't like yeah. Broder's Clay. Because <laughs> I've always thought Castagnoli would work perfectly in New Japan. Mm. And if I was to guess on an AEW talent that they could afford to loan out for a G1 maybe next year, because there is always like a a calculation in it. Like they did Moxley in 2019 because that was when you're just trying to make sweet deals for wrestlers to make them happy and allowing Moxley to go off and do the G1 is like one of the, probably one of the things that got them Moxley's signature in the first place. Yeah. Then subsequent to that, they do Lance Archer because Lance Archer, whilst he's a good hand to have on AEW TV, he's not required and he had that connection with New Japan anyway. So they can, they're can they more than happy to have him go into New Japan as many times as possible. Now with Eddie Kingston, it's like he's not currently being used on AEW TV. This is the perfect place for him to go. Yeah. And he lost his most recent title match in Ring of Honor to Castagnoli as well. Yeah. And with Castagnoli, it was always that thing of when they initially hired him, the idea was for him to be a Ring of Honor guy. So it wasn't even necessarily that they wanted him to be a top guy in AEW. And still to this day, maybe they won't ever put him in that position, which again, maybe allows them a bit more leeway with allowing him to go to Japan more often because his style, his look, his size, everything about him will be popular with a Japanese audience because they always love the power wrestlers. Usually they're more squat like your Scott Norton guys, but... But Castagnoli is such an interesting physical specimen anyway. And he's got the height and he does those power moves. So it will work. He will fit him. But I would not be surprised if in 2024 he was in New Japan as often as he was in AEW or Ring of Honor. If Ring of Honor is still a thing at that point. There's a Shingo Takagi match out there against Castagnoli, which would be very interesting to see. Maybe that'll be at Forbidden Door. Ah, potentially, potentially. And so I think that was the reason for bringing Castagnoli in, because I think they both sides probably think this could be a good fit. And so they have Castagnoli in, but not in that much. Yeah. And as I say, Moxley, it's more like, because he's had these things with New Japan before and he'll probably try and come back again in the future. And I bet you that it will ultimately pay off at some point, probably with him turning on Umino and putting Umino over, whether that's not till 2028 or something. (laughs) I do think that will be what happens at some point in the future. Touch wood, everyone's still able to keep going. Yeah. It was curious seeing Moxley in this because it was like he was trying to show that he can do the technical stuff at least to a certain extent. Yeah. Moxley's never going to be the most sophisticated kind of guy. 
in the ring, but he adapts to the situation in a different manner to the way that he does in Anarchy in the Arena, and him squaring up to Ishii, they were kind of like set pairings really in the match, although they also wanted to tease plenty of Moxley with Okada as well, because I think Moxley really wants to work against Okada, I think everyone just wants to work against Okada. Wow, who wouldn't? But it was mostly, the square-offs were Castagnoli, Tanahashi, Moxley, Ishii, and Okada, Umino. It was curious as well, just seeing uh, an old-fashioned isolating a guy in the corner, beating up on him, which was them doing it to Okada after Umino was able to get some control and, like, fast tags. And it was essentially Moxley doing a little bit of a shield tribute even before the triple powerbomb spots. Just with the isolation. It was really good. It was really good. Yeah, seeing that shield Moxley that we haven't seen, really. Just from, like, a tactical perspective. One of the things we've not covered yet, I didn't realise this, was like Ishii and Tanahashi just not getting on. Yeah. But- it, it's like watching two brothers-in-law that have like been both signed up to the same same village pub darts team. But they don't, don't quite get on, but they respect the fact that, you know, they, they have a good average. Yeah, they, I'm guessing that will play up as time goes on that maybe in the match where they do lose the titles, it will be due to uh, miscommunication between those two. Because there's not a lot of that in the actual match itself. It's more implied in the commentary and in the post-match press conferences. Well, not press conferences, but post-match comments they'll make that are put up on New Japan World. Yeah. But, again, it's funny to see how Tanahashi works within the team, how Ishii works within the team. They are essentially supporting players now to Okada, but it's not like... uh, Well, I guess you could say Ishii is sort of the Fushi to Okada's Saruta. (laughs) Except instead of being cowardly, he just tries to beat the shit out of him. But he's still like his his lieutenant, essentially. Yeah, I mean, that'd be a weird fusion of wrestler. Putting Fushi's... If putting Fushi's brain in Ishii's body would be a sight to behold. (laughs) Well, they're about the same height. Yeah, just, just see this, like, absolute wardrobe cowering. It'd be... Mind you, we see it with Walter every now and again. But not cowering, begging off, but, you know, it's not like we don't ever see it. So, do you get where I'm coming from, where I like this match a lot, but I don't think it's of the five-star calibre? Again, I think because those six-man tags in All Japan are amongst my favourite that we've covered for this series. Yeah. So, I'm kind of trying to match them up against that, and they don't come up to that standard. And also, weirdly for a New Japan match, it's over a bit too quickly, because you could have stretched this match out to 30 minutes and there would be enough variables within there because that's what you can do with six-man tags, Mm. where it doesn't get dull and the pace never lets up. Yeah. There was no period where, uh, until the final stretch where Umino's on his own isolated, where they do a, a sustained period where they're working over Umino in the corner and he makes the hot tag to Moxley or Castagnoli. Whereas we get that with this one, like twice really, there's a brief period, at the, there's one in the start where Tanahashi comes in and does a clearing house where he hits, the, and he does like different things to each of them, doesn't he? He like does a, a dragon screw leg whip to Castagnoli, yep. he surprises Moxley with a drop kick to the knee, and then Umino comes in and he just slaps him across the face. He rings his bell as well, he absolutely lays into him. And then Ishii comes in and just starts beating the shit out of them as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a double babyface fire comeback moment. It was a fun st- structure. I think what you're liking is the potential of what this match sets up in the future, as much as you're liking the match itself. Yeah, I kind of would love it if... You can't really do it because of how it works with factions, but I kind of love the tag titles match in the future, a never-open-weight six-man tag between... Okada, Tanahashi, and Ishii against Umino, Narita, and Suji, or 
some combination of those. Yeah. Those new guard guys. It are. Oh. But the rules are, you know, because now Suji's in the Ingobernable. Unless maybe that'll be the big storyline that suddenly Narita betrays Strong Style, Umino betrays the New Japan Originals, and Suji betrays Los Ingobernables, and they form their own faction. Ah. Maybe bring Master Watto in to be the guy that eats the falls. <laughs> you can imagine, like, Akada having to put up with Naito at some points to get, like, overcome this obstacle. Yeah, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Okada, Naito, and Tanahashi teaming up against, like, Suji, Umino, and Yuimura. There's money in it. Oh, God, yeah. In, New Japan's in a really interesting place at the moment. They seem to be trying to turn the Bullet Club into a version of the Nexus. <laughs> with all these New Japan US dojo graduates. And Gabriel Kidd, who's technically... Japan dojo graduate, but doesn't seem to be getting positioned in the same way as the natives are. Yeah. Oh, Gabriel kid. Come on, Gabriel. <laughs> did you nerd out when they did the shield triple bomb moment? Did you not see it coming or what? You actually, in advance of this match, text me that this had happened. So I did know. Oh, about did I? Oh, okay. Sorry. I forgot that. Uh, it's still a cool spot. I would like to see it next time with Danielson and then just like a look at his eye of I felt way too many of those in my time. But yeah, I think those final sequences where first it's Moxley, Castagnoli and Umino that have the advantage on Okada and they're trying to help Umino put him away and Umino's like matching Okada and doing some of Okada's stuff to Okada, like him surprising Okada with a drop kick as he runs yeah. the ropes. Pretty good drop kick as well. You don't get out of the New Japan Dojo if you can't throw a drop kick. I would have thought. That fair. It's still that thing of the young lion not quite having as much power behind him as Okada did. Yeah. And maybe also that they're not quite as cohesive a team as Okada, Tanahashi, and, and Ishii are. They make their triple team count, whereas Umino and the others don't quite. Yeah. And also, I mean, that's that also reminded me of the Shield New Day. I think it was the one match they had against each other. Was it bragging rights or? I think it was meant to be a Raw v Smackdown sort of thing. Oh, okay. Where I think the finish was like the New Day were able to isolate one member of the Shield, but they didn't quite put that one away. Yeah. And then the Shield did the same and they had enough time, the triple bomb, and they got the pin. Probably Xavier Woods. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Xavier. The Master Watto of the... Of the, oh. of the <laughs> He's got a PhD. He was king of the ring. Hey, fuck it out. He hasn't got a five-star match. That's Xavier true. Woods, so he should be flattered yeah. to be the Mass Watto. I didn't get a chance to catch the IWGP Junior match, the title match that Watto had against Takahashi, but I hear that it was great. Oh, that's good. The other thing that was really striking to me was the crowd wasn't as, la- as as heated as I really wanted it to be. I guess I'm thinking of like those, maybe because it was in Osaka Joe Hall as well, if this had been a match in the more tighter Karakuen Hall, like those All Japan six-man tags were, maybe it would have felt more intense and more exciting. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't go on an emotional roller coaster of ebbs and flows. It was really just brawl, isolation, then Bonzo Gonzo, six This band. match wasn't in its uh, original position on the card, though. Like, it's, it's odd to have this as the semi-main, and it wasn't through choice. It was due to flight delays for Castic Noli. I think they had this down to open, I think, but they couldn't do it because... Um, of uh, Claudio's fight, flight delays. Chris Carlton says it. He always changed in the cab on the way here. He, I think he literally had, like, that's not hyperbole. Claudio had to change in the car on the way here to make sure he was, like, ready to go straight into it. And he's a tall man. You don't want those legs flying all over the place trying to put on trousers. 
And Japan, famous for its SUVs and giant cars. <laughs> oh, yes. The other thing I really noticed is Tanahashi is really going at half speed these days. Well, when... Running the ropes are starting to take a lot out of him. But he will just have those moments where if he just stands still and someone walks up to him and he slaps them across the face, it still works. (laughs) He's built enough equity to to slow down a little bit now. I hope Tanashi continues to find those sort of successes. I think as being like a a tag team guy in six mans and everything could be a really good position for him. But it's just that weird thing as well in Japan of just, you you keep going. You know, Fujinami still hasn't retired. (laughs) So... We could be talking about Tanahashi being involved in five-star six-man tags in, like, 2043. <laughs> this right, you know. Comes in for one random NXT match against, like, Bron Breaker's son or something. <laughs> <laughs> They've called him Steiner, for fuck's sake. <laughs> They've called him Rex Steiner Jr. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, this just doesn't seem on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny seeing Moxley bleed just because... Scar Tissue just doesn't have that time to heal anymore, and if you do get head-butted by Ishii, he's not going to sugarcoat it, so you will bleed. Yeah, there's an interesting sound coming off of that, and, you know, we are in a New Japan event, and obviously we know what happened with Shibata, so come on, come on now. No, no, No need to do that. Yeah, this was a very fun sprint, and it's curious as well that we've always been complaining so long about New Japan matches going on too long, but now, as we were saying, the that Best of the Super Juniors final only went a mere 24 minutes. This one went just over 20, and all the G1 block matches are going to have 20-minute time limits. Maybe Gado himself is aware of these criticisms and is trying to spice things up. Maybe. Or maybe they just have more faith in the card all across the board that they don't need Okada to eat up an extra 20 minutes they didn't feel like the the undercard could deliver on. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I think they've got just one night of, like, block matches per night now, haven't they? I don't think they have tag on yeah. the card matches this time round. Yeah, that's how the best of the Super Juniors have worked as well. Yeah. There might have been, like, one Young Lions match at the start. I can't remember. But it'll be, obviously, I assume it'll be, like, A and C and B and D or whatever on either night, on every other night. And it's the wise way to go about it, I think, to get the most out of them. Like I said, because of the 20-minute time limit, and most melts of five-star matches have to go at least 20 minutes usually mm. to him to go that high. I was Again, I was kind of surprised at how relatively short this was because I thought if a six-man tag was going to get five stars from Meltzer, obviously it helps to have Okada in there. But I would have thought it would be like a an epic main event because you could have done it. Like I said, you could have done a 35-minute version of this match. Oh, yeah. And I have faith in all the people involved that they could have made it exciting. And maybe, that weirdly, even though I'm the one that complains about length, I might have enjoyed that. And it would have been, again, and reminded me even more of like the, you know, the 52-minute match, which is one of my favorite matches ever. Yeah. between Super Generation Army and Jumbo's Army. Uh, maybe I would have seen that match and given it five stars. And again, we could do some more interesting... It's pretty amazing that like Moxley and Kastignoli were flown in to be supporting players in Shota Umino's storyline and then to in, to do a video for another guy as well. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. But also shows that they're good workers. They're, they're professionals. Oh, yeah. Mox Absolutely. and Kastignoli and... You know, the guy that was probably genuinely was probably carrying Moxley's bags around for him four years ago. He's coming over and being the supporting character to his big storyline now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, his arc is, there's a lot left in Umino's arc. A lot, lot left. That's what's exciting. 
When you think of how long the Okada Tanahashi storyline went, you think of how long the Naito storyline went. And those were just with one or two people involved. This could have four, five, six protagonists in theory, all with their own narratives going on at the same time in parallel to one another. <laughs> there's, a, there's a room in Gato's house that's absolutely littered with string right now. Pepe Silvia ain't got nothing on this guy. Exactly. But anyway, I think that's pretty much me covered. How about you, Simon? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. Obviously, you've covered your whether or not you'd give five stars. I, I wouldn't give five stars uh, myself. It, it's it's great fun, but you, you're right. There's there's a meatier, lengthier, more story-driven version of this out there. And I'd quite like to see that. So so knowing there's more out there, I, I don't I don't know if I could hit the uh, five-star button for this one. I'm sure there'll be future matches involving the storyline that we'll be covering for a five-star project many years down the line. And the match that is set up at the end of this match... Where Danielson makes his challenge in the desert. If that's not being covered in the five-star project, I will be shocked. For our next episode, Simon, where are we? What are we talking about? And what will you be doing? We are watching a match between the two members of Big Dangerous Scary Mammals. And it's between Charles Crowley and Clementine. And this will be our first intergender match of the week until then simon if people want to get in touch with you about anything related to shota umino or six-man tags or a playlist of required viewing for the never open weight six-man tag team titles how can they do so they can get in touch with me on twitter i'm sending the simon cross free free for the number of men needed to do a triple powerbomb my name's lorcan munnan that's l-o-r-c-a-n-m-u-l-l-a-n uh, the a-n at the start of another chair in the face mr umino okay there you go. <laughs> that's my sounds on instagram that to be fair okada would never call him mr umino i was gonna say at one point in charlton translate one of the things he was yelling at it was basically just try it you shit yeah. <laughs> and not in the yo sense but anyway get in touch with the show lntyspod at gmail.com lntyspod is also our twitter and facebook handles and there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen and my name's Simon Cross thank you for letting us tell you something have a five star time until the next time